following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. Jesus is alive. Amen. He is risen. Wow. How awesome is that? I can say it in English. He is risen. I can say it in Greek. Christos Aneste. I can say it in Italian, Cristo Risorto. Did someone say Risotto? Ah, <laughs> uh, it's good to be celebrating Easter, the highlight of the Christian calendar where we just have it over everybody else. <laughs> what have we got every, over everybody else? Uh, our God is alive. How awesome is that? That sort of just gives you the head start of everybody else. What, your God's a stone? Your God's a rock? Your God's, what, that's his grave? That's where he lives? He's dead? <laughs> Not ours. Ours is alive. He is risen. He's alive. He lives forevermore. I'm telling you, if you're going to follow someone, follow a living God, a powerful God. You know, every Easter... Newspapers come up with the latest presentation of why Jesus did not rise from the dead and um, the latest theory of he went over to the Middle East and whatever and, you know, he was bruised and battered but he didn't quite die and, or someone else died in his place. But the fact is this, that the disciples are the greatest testament of the resurrection. You say, well, how's that? Well, we'll just think about it for a little while. When Friday came and they saw their Savior crucified, they were the most despondent bunch of people on the planet. They saw all of their dreams shattered because they didn't understand that he had to rise. from. Even though Jesus told them over and over again, they didn't quite understand that he had to rise from the dead. And, and so what you've got on Resurrection Sunday when they went and told them, he's not there, he's, he's risen. They couldn't believe it. I mean, you even have Thomas where he says, unless I stick my finger in the very holes in his hands and the very, I'm not going to believe it. That's, that's, that's the mentality. So what changed them to become the most passionate bunch of evangelists this world has ever known? They saw the risen Lord. And because they saw the risen Lord, they were transformed. They were so energized that every single one of them, bar John the Beloved, was willing to lay down their life for the cause. They were all martyred for the faith. All the disciples, bar John the Beloved, were martyred for the faith. How many of you know that nobody lays down their life for a lie? But everybody that has seen the risen Lord, every single one of the disciples that saw the risen Lord was willing to lay down their life for the fact that he was risen from the dead. The whole foundation of Christianity is not based on a life, my friends. The whole foundation of Christianity is that Jesus is alive. This is what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures and that He was seen by Cephas and by the Twelve and that He was seen by 
another 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Folks, Paul was not able to write this in truth if that were not the case. Hello, can you understand this? That people were alive at that time that could testify, I'm one of those 500 that saw the risen Lord. Jesus has risen from the dead and I can testify to that. The whole foundation of Christianity is a teaching of truth. And you can't have a teaching of truth based on the foundation of a lie. Do you understand that? So if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then the whole foundation of Christianity is a lie. Well, you can't have good people teaching lies. Good people only teach good things that are based on truth. And so the whole foundation of this book is laid upon the foundation of truth. And the foundation of truth is that Jesus rose from the dead. He is the victor and he lives today. And I want to share with you today, what is the importance of the resurrection? Why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? Why is that so important? Why, why, why could he have not just preached another philosophy like Moses did? Moses preached some good things. He lived, he died, it was all over. Why did Jesus have to rise from the dead? Well, he was very different to Moses, to Abraham, to any other teacher. Why is that? Because Jesus claimed that he was the Son of God. And when he claimed that he was the Son of God, we're not talking about the biological Son of God. See, in, in our minds, when we say Son, we think biological, Father, Mother, Birth, Son. No, no, no. We're not talking about the biological birthing. Jesus was never birthed biologically. He has always been it's talking about the relationship that he shared with God, not the biology from which he came. It's the relationship. He was the eternal son of God. See, one of the, one of the wrong concepts that people have is when they mix up the humanity of Jesus with the deity of Jesus. And so, so this, is, this is where some of the error comes in. Okay, well, Jesus in human form was born through Mary. Yes, that's true. He was born in human form through Mary. Okay, so if Jesus is God, then Mary is the mother of God. Wrong. Bzz. False assumption. What have we got there? No, no, no. Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is the human being that was used by God to bring the humanity of Jesus into this planet. But let me say to you that Jesus as the Son of God has always been and always will be the eternal Son of God. And when he came to this planet, he literally said, I am the Son of God. I am the one who was God. Through me, the worlds came into being. Jesus was the creator of the universe. In Colossians, we read about it. Paul amplifies and opens up to us amazing teaching about Jesus, the creator of the world. All things came into being through him. And John opens up in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things have come through Him. And He declared that He was the Son of God. 
When he rose from the dead, my friends, he proved to the whole world, the whole universe, that death could not hold him down. He was the Son of God. John writes in John chapter 20, verse 31, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing you may have life in His name. My friends, when you come into Christianity, you cannot just believe that Christianity is a good bunch of teachings on how to be good and how to be kind to each other. I'm going to say to you that the foundation of Christianity is that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Death could not hold Him down. He was the victor over death and Hades. And on that foundation is our faith. And it's a foundation that can never be broken. Second reason why Jesus had to rise from the dead was to prove that all that He said was true. See, when when someone says, the prophecy that I give you is the prophecy of Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days, so the Son of Man must be in the grave for three days, then he rise from the dead. Jesus prophesied that he'd rise from the dead. Now, not even his disciples fully understood that at the time, but he prophesied it. It's written in the Word of God. So if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then it puts a big question mark over everything that he said. So if you can prove that one thing that Jesus said was not true, then that opens the door over everything else that he says. Well, if that's not true, well, what else isn't true? But I want to say to you that because Jesus rose from the dead, that the most difficult thing to do was to rise from the dead, then it proves that everything else that he said was true. And so when Jesus declared in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He was declaring the truth of that. There are not many ways to God. Don't you believe the lie of the devil that says all religion is the same. They're all just a different path to God. But like all roads lead to Rome, all paths lead to God. That is a despicable lie. Why is that? Because if there was any truth in that, why would Jesus have to suffer? Why would Jesus have to go to a cross if God already opened up many avenues to himself? I'm going to say to you today that Jesus himself said there's only one way. There is only one mediator. There's only one bridge. There is only one Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. And he proved that he was the Savior when he rose from the dead. Excuse me for getting excited this morning, but if there's one Sunday that I can get excited, it's got to be Resurrection Sunday. The third proof the third reason that i want to give to you this morning that jesus had to rise from the dead is to prove that just as he rose from the dead so would we so would we see he became the first fruit he became the prototype he became the first one to open up and destroy the power of death Oh, I love that. I I love that that saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 death, where is your sting? He, He was this spirit of death that, right from the beginning of time, thought that he had it over us. Death would look at human beings and say to every human being, I got it over you. 
Because one day I'm going to smother you and I'm going to take you into the domain of death. And held that, 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 that fear over us. From the beginning of time, the fear of death was, was that sting that was held over us. But when Jesus rose from the dead, when Jesus broke through the power of death, he broke the sting and he said, human beings, those that have received me, you no longer have to be afraid of the sting of death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your power? It's been broken. There's been a crack put into the power of death and Hades. Just as Jesus rose from the dead, so shall we. And what a joy it is to stand over a graveside. What a joy it is this day to be able to look at people that have lost a loved one, that are there in their grief and their hopelessness, and say to them, I want to say to you today with the assurance of truth that just as Jesus rose from the dead, so too will your saved loved one, when Jesus returns, the graves will open, the dead in Christ will raise first, and we shall be with the Lord forever and ever. Death has been defeated through the resurrection of Jesus. Death has been defeated. Mr. Dawkins, give you a challenge. He said, what challenge do you give Mr. Dawkins? Go to any funeral service. Go to any funeral service, any place, anywhere in the world and stand next to a grieving mother. Stand next to a grieving wife. Stand next to a grieving child that's just lost their mom or their dad. And Mr. Dawkins, stand next to them and please, from what you teach, give the person some comfort. Give them some comfort. What would you say to them, Mr. Dawkins? Well, the only message you could say, you came out of nothing, you lived a blinking time, and now you've gone into nothing. So that's the message of Mr. Dawkins. Is that the message of hope? That's the message of the atheist. That's the message of the God-hater. But I want to say to you that if you love Jesus, you can go to that person who's grieving at the graveside and say to them in confidence, if your loved one believe in Jesus, death cannot hold them down or the grave cannot hold them down. You can put a pillar of concrete. You can encase them in stone. But when that trumpet blasts, their spirit and their body will be reunited. They will have life come into them and they will live forever and ever with the Lord or you'll be separated from them for a minute period of time but the day will come when every tear will be wiped away every sorrow will be removed and we will live with Jesus forever and ever that is the hope that is the message that is the message that is the message of the Bible that is the message of the church that is the message of resurrection Sunday Oh, glory to God. Oh, I'm getting a little bit warmed up at the moment. A little bit fired up. Someone said to me today, I hope you preach a good sermon today. I said, I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Let me get into part two of this message. Part two is entitled The Great Exchange. I just love this. The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange is this, that... Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, 
something powerful happened. A great exchange took place. You say, what's the exchange? Well, well, Paul talks about it in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14, where it tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. You know, throughout the world, people are afraid of curses. 80% of the world's population believe in the spirit world. So the atheists are a very small minority. They only really exist in the Western world where they're too educated. But if you go to most places in the world, they believe in the spirit world. Matter of fact, most places in the world believe in a spirit world. We have to educate people out of believing in the spirit of the world, in the spirit world, for them to not believe in the spirit world. But it's like people are born with this understanding that there's a spirit world. And so people that believe in the spirit world also believe in curses. And to live under a curse is a terrible thing. And I've seen people under curses. And whatever they touch just falls over. Whatever they touch just just turns bad. And then other people live under blessing. And it's like everything they touch goes good. It's like, you know, wherever they go, there's blessing following, following them. And there's joy and peace and just goodness around them. And so what Jesus did is that he broke the curse over our lives by becoming a curse. So what? So that we could have blessing. And friends, you've got to understand this, that, that Jesus said, give me all your curses and I'll give you blessing. Give me all the things that create fear in your life because fear is a curse. The fear of death is a curse. The fear of the future is a curse. The fear of the dark is a curse. So many people live in fear. They live in all sorts of fear. It's a curse. And you know what Jesus said? Bring all of your fears, all of your curses to me, and I'll exchange them for blessing. Because this is what it says in Galatians 3, 13 to 14. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us, the Gentiles. See, the, the, the most important curse that Paul was referring to was the curse of separation from God. The curse of not being able to be called a child of God. That's the worst curse. That's the eternal curse. But Jesus said, no, let me take that curse upon myself so that you can have the blessing of being called a child of God. Let me tell you, second thing that, that, that was involved in the great exchange where he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul tells us, For he made him and you no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What an incredible exchange that was. And Anne so beautifully presented it this morning where he's a person in chains, in sin. But then Jesus comes along. But let me tell you that for the great exchange to take place, there's got to be a willingness for the person under the curse, under sin, to humble themselves. Can I just say to you that humility is the most important ingredient for us to attract the attention of God. Pride will always separate you from God. What a horrible thing pride is. And it's like in the West that our education and our prosperity has made us proud people. 
There's just something beautiful about humility. And humility recognizes the power of God and the minuteness of man. What's happening today is that we're elevating man to be God and and, and God just becomes a philosophy, something really, really small. It was never designed to be like that. It was designed to us to understand if you look into the skies and you see the magnitude of the universe, he can hold that in the palm of his head. That's how big he is. And how big do you think you are? Well, I'm pretty small in the universe. Well, the universe is pretty small in the palm of God's hands. You say, well, what's the story? Just humble yourself before God. He's actually attracted to humility. He loves humility. And humility is where we're able to say, you know, God, I'm under a curse, but I want the blessing. And you said to me that there's an exchange that takes place. I'll humble myself and and give you my curse and You'll give me blessing? That's awesome. But God says, but before that, I want you to give me your sin. I want you to give me your depravity. I want you to give me your guilt and shame. And what I'll do is that I'll exchange your sin and give you righteousness. Declare you righteous. Declare you perfect. Declare you whole. Just strip away all the filth, all the grime, all the stuff that would cause offense to me. Strip it away and give you righteousness. When Jesus hung upon the cross, I want to say to you that he became sin. For what purpose? So that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. What an awesome thing it is to stop calling yourself a filthy, rotten, miserable sinner. And start calling yourself the righteousness of God in Christ. To begin looking yourself in the mirror and say, I don't know how this works. I don't know how this happened. But I can thank you, God, that once I was a miserable, filthy, rotten sinner. But now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I thank you for the great exchange. It's totally out of proportion. But thank you for your grace. It's amazing. The third thing that took place was that he became poor that we might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, that, through, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. Let me tell you the problem with this scripture, is that we interpret it through Western eyes. And so we think rich, okay, rich, 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 means lots of money, lots of property, lots of cars, lots of stuff. Ha ha. I love that. And poor means no property, no cars, no money, no stuff. So where does it say that Jesus became like that? He said, what was the poverty of Jesus? When he was able to cry on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, true poverty is not having God in your life. True poverty is being forsaken by God. That's true poverty. You say, but I thought not having money was poverty. Doesn't compare with not having God. Not having God? That's when you are miserably poor. I've seen people. I've been to India where people come to church. They don't have any money. And so when the offering is taken up, they've got two. I I saw this. They had two jars. One was for those that had money, and the other jar was those that didn't have any money, and they were able to give rice. 
because that's all they had. Now, the one for money, that was only a few little coins in there. The one with rice, that's, that's the poverty of these people. But you know what? I sat there this morning, this, this particular day, and, you know, they had seats reserved for me, the preacher. But the church was packed. You say, well, how many chairs were in the place? No chairs. They sat on the floor, cross-legged. It was a stone floor that they sat on. They gave me a chair because I was the honored guest. But the place was packed way before the service started. They all, matter of fact, if they came late, it's not a chair they wouldn't have. It's a spot in the building they wouldn't have. A spot on the floor where they sit cross-legged. And then when, when the pastor says, it's time to worship God, the roof lifted off the place. These people put their hands in the air and started yelling praises to Jesus. I, from the first second that the church started, I started weeping. Tears started pouring down my face because I didn't see poor people. I saw rich people. Rich, rich, rich. Oh, they were poor once, but not now. They once were God forsaken, but now they got Jesus in their lives. See, he became poor when he hung upon the cross and said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So that you could become rich and say, He will never leave me nor forsake me. Why, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thy rod and thy staff. They comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemy. Yea, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Forever. Forever in the house of the Lord, a prince with God, a table prepared before me. My friends, that's the richness that God has got for you. Don't exchange that richness for the puny things of this world that will rust away. Don't lay down your life to gain the treasures of this world when you can lay down your life to gain the treasures of heaven. That's the gospel. Don't allow it to be polluted. Don't allow it to be polluted. (sighs) Number four, the exchange, the great exchange. I'm loving this, incidentally. I don't know about you, but I'm enjoying this. He became an open wound that we might be healed. I don't know if you can understand the open. You know, the thing is this, that there's a movie called The Passion of the Christ. And uh, whether it be excessive or not, it's not the debate. But I think if there ever was a movie that depicted the reality of the crucifixion, it was probably that movie. But you know what? We can't show it in church. Why is that? Because it's appalling. It's horrific. We have children having nightmares. We've got ladies fainting in the aisles. Why is that? Because of the open wound that Jesus became. He was an open wound. When we're talking about the crucifixion, the crown of thorns, the whipping that Jesus received... You know, we we try to make it as clean as possible. You know, the crown just sitting there, just a little droplet here. Passion of the Christ. My goodness, that really depicted it. It was pressed in his skull. 
Isaiah prophesied that his back would look like a ploughed up field. That's what Isaiah prophesied. He became an open wound so that we might be healed. Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our peace. And by his stripes, that word stripes means the whip blows that cut into the flesh that created stripes in his back. By his stripes, we are healed. He became an open wound that we might be healed. What a great exchange. And fifthly, he suffered death that we might enjoy eternal life and be raised from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 to 22 talks about the fact that he suffered death so that he could remove the sting of death from us. The sting of death was removed because Jesus died for us. What an incredible joy that is. Incredible joy. I want to finish this morning, Steve, if you can come up. By just taking you to John chapter 20, which is Resurrection Day at the tomb. And I love this because the first person to see the resurrected Lord wasn't John the Beloved, wasn't Peter the Rock. Who can tell me the first person that saw the resurrected Lord? Who can tell me? Her name. Mary Magdalene. Who was Mary Magdalene? Can I tell you who Mary Magdalene was? A sinner that received the great exchange. You know what the Bible says about Mary Magdalene? She had seven spirits. I don't know if you've ever seen anyone that's got a demonic spirit but there's something wild in their eyes there's no peace in their soul they're tormented they are incredibly tormented have you ever seen a tormented person that just can't find respite I mean these days what we what we do is that we hide them away and we put them into, onto medication to try to suppress them. It doesn't do that much good. But when Jesus saw this woman tormented, he showed her compassion and grace that other people had not shown her. And he loved her from the moment he saw her and cast those demons out of her. And in a moment, she felt the release. In a moment, she felt the evidence of the great exchange. Oh, he's taken away my torment and replaced my torment with peace. The peace that I've been looking for. The peace that has eluded me. The peace that I've seen evidenced in others, but never was able to fully experienced myself but Jesus came and gave me peace 
the tearing away and those negative words and those evil words just constantly tearing at her. You'll never do anything good in your life. You're just an evil woman. Who do you think you are? You're just a piece of rubbish. You're just a piece of nothing. The torment coming from the voices that will torment her day and night. That's what demons do. But then one day she heard the voice of Jesus. Come out of her, you foul spirit. And immediately she started to see life differently. She started to feel life differently because Jesus had come to her and exchanged her torment with release, her shame with glory, her sinful lifestyle. She'd now become a God lover. He exchanged her hopelessness with a life of faith and hope. Taking out the demonic spirit, he placed within her the spirit of God. And she loved him. She loved him, followed him, and said, Jesus, I want to serve you. Jesus, I want to be with you. Jesus, you set me free. And so here she is at that tomb on the first day of the week, Resurrection Sunday. Have you got the setting? Loving him. This is where it says, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And there she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they've laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. You say, how's that the case? Well, none of them knew that it was Jesus at first. Obviously, his resurrected body was somehow different to his previous body, and they just didn't recognize who it was. And then in verse 15, Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. But please, show me where the body of Jesus is. Then I want you to just focus on this. Because Jesus then said just one word to her. Who can tell me what the word was? Mary. And there's just something sweet when you hear God calling your name. He knows you by name. And as soon as he articulated her name. She knew him. She knew him. Nobody says Mary like that, but my Lord. I want to say to you this, that he knows you by name. And he's calling you today. And he's saying, I suffered I bled and I died 
so that you no longer have to suffer, bleed, and die. There's an exchange that's awaiting for you. Would you trade in your ashes and receive beauty? Would you trade in your garments of sorrow and receive the garment of praise? Would you trade in your sinful lifestyle and receive the robe of righteousness? Jesus, the resurrected Lord, is standing before you, calling your name and offering you today the great exchange. Righteousness for holiness. What are you going to do? Let's bow our heads for a word. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 